Like, Phil, it's not a good joke. But anyhow, anybody go to the store and, like, every store I went to, it's like I just wanted to walk down the aisle just to really see if it was true. Like, there was, it was gone. And like, everything was gone. And I was like, wow, interesting. All right. So, but, yeah, I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you for coming. And in all seriousness, you know, this is things that we do need to pray about. The Bible does say that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a power and a love and a sound mind. Now, again, he has given us the power of having a sound mind, which means, you know what, be smart, you know, in what you do and what you don't do. And I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you for coming. And, and I was thinking about everything that was going on. I thought about, you know, we ought to go to the verse that would be really helpful, us, helpful to us today. And that verse says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was my life verse when I was a teenager in youth group at church. I said, I'm just trying to obey God here, lady. You know, I'm just trying. I would just tell people that, you know, just trying to follow God, you know. But anyhow, that's about the best as the jokes get if you're with us today. Sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't mind. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And again, I appreciate you being here. Uh, we've started a series a few weeks ago in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is kind of a rare book, meaning that uh, the church there at Ephesus, this is the only church that God allows us in Scripture to see the birth of the church, which we read about in Acts chapter number 18 and 19, the life of the church that you see here in the book of Ephesians, and then you get to see, which I believe is the end of the church, which is over in Revelation, uh, when it talks about you have lost your first love. And, and, and this is a church, by the way, in the, in the book of Ephesus, excuse me, in the book of Ephesians about Ephesus, this is a huge trading area. This is a place of a lot of commerce, a lot of different people. In fact, this is a place where it's not just Gentiles, those that aren't Jews, but it's really probably close to 50-50 in this time uh, of people that are Jews and people that are Gentiles living together and being there together. Paul was able to uh, see some people come to faith in Christ and start a church there. And, and it's kind of the epicenter of idolatry, really, Ephesus is. Like if I like history, I like studying Greek and Roman mythology, those kind of things. And they worshiped about every god you could think of there in Ephesus. They had mainly the main god was to the goddess Diana that they had there. They worshiped. But as we've been talking about is that now that Paul had started a church there, Paul was there probably between two and three years. And the book of Ephesians is what we call one of the prison epistles. Epistle just means letter. And it's one of the letters, the four letters, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon are four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And, and so when you see it, the book of Ephesians, I know I've said it each week, the book of Ephesians really breaks itself up into two, or into two halves, if you will. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, talk about God's story, what God did, what God has done for us. And then when you get to chapter 4, 5, and 6, it starts off with that little phrase, wherefore, therefore, meaning because of what God's done, 4, 5, and 6 is now what we should do. It's our story, what we should do. And so we're still in chapter number 2. And uh, we're looking at the last part of the chapter here, and, and just as we look at some things here today, and, and just understanding what God has done. I really enjoyed studying last week, uh, looking at the idea of the first uh, 10 verses about what God has done. You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and talking about how we were dead and apart from Christ. And I love verse 4, the first two words, it says, but God. Aren't you thankful today for all the times in your life where you know things were not going right? And you couldn't change anything, but God stepped in through circumstances, through other people, and God brought us back. And we just looked at the love of that. We're going to continue looking at a little bit more of that today. Uh, 
And so I'm going to do something I probably didn't necessarily plan on. I'm going to start reading in verse number 8. I know we covered that last week, and we stopped at verse number 10. But I like to read verses 8 to 14 here just to start with this morning. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, verse 11, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by which, the call, by which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this morning, God. We love you. We thank you for the day. But Lord, we just want to stop for a moment and say, as it says in the book of Revelation, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Lord, we also say, as you say in your, in your word in Hebrews, that thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, there's a lot of things that are going to make us question that. But God, may we realize that everything in life may change, but Jesus never changes. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your love and your faithfulness that's new every morning. And Lord, I pray for us today as people, as we gather in your house around your word for the next few moments before we go back out into the world that probably honestly looks a little differently today than maybe it did four or five days ago. But God, we pray that the word would speak. Lord, where we need direction in life, Lord, I pray you would give guidance, give wisdom, give knowledge. And Lord, I pray in my life and the life of others where we need conviction. Lord, may the loving grace of God convict us. Thank you, you are a God that does not guilt us. That God, you are a God that convicts us, that draws us back to you. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who died on the cross. But Lord, I thank you that, as you say in your word, he's alive today, ever liveth to make its intercession for us. So Father, I pray you might use me today in spite of me. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. When you read through this passage of Scripture, and especially when you get to verse number 11, it says, wherefore the word wherefore means because of this or what has already been said and so with the word wherefore in verse number 11 it says because of verses 1 through 10 because you were dead in trespasses and sin because you were under uh children of wrath under the judgment of god and because god who is rich in mercy and love and saved us and because that we're saved by grace through faith because of all that he says in verse 10 that what we should walk in them, the things of God. Wherefore, when he tells us to walk in this newness of life, walk in the ways of God, the first thing he tells us to do is remember. Now, remember doesn't sound like something that's a big action, something you should do. It's kind of like whenever you uh, started, if you played on a ball team or anything, and it got to be game time, and I love game time. Game time to me was I kind of got extra pumped when it comes to game time. And I always remember coaches would ultimately say this before we went out on the floor or went out into the field. You know what they would always say? Remember what we practiced. Remember how we played, how we trained. And sometimes I remember, especially as a coach, 
uh, looking at uh, kids and putting them on the basketball court, especially in the soccer field. And I remember them going out there and just they did whatever they wanted to do. And I looked at them and say, don't you remember anything that I taught, taught, been training you? You might have used that in your children's life. Don't you remember anything that I said? You know, now actually, the idea is we're probably glad they don't remember everything that we said, to be honestly, be honest with you. But we're like, why don't you remember? And uh, what Paul is saying here, man, you were dead. You were dead spiritually, but Christ has quickened you. He has saved you by grace through the faith that you have in him. And, but you should walk in him. He said, but there's something key here you need to do. You need to remember. And when you think about this, and I look at this idea, this is not a, re- this is not a request. This is a demand. He's not saying, you know, as you start to walk in your Christian life, it'd be good from time to time just to reflect on some things. No, he's commanding them. Remember. Because honestly, what a lot of us want to do, we want to leapfrog from verse number, verse number uh, 10 that where it says walk in them, and we want to get right to verse number 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh unto Christ. We want to kind of leapfrog over verses 11 and 12. But one is we need to understand this, is that whenever we in our life spiritually go from verse 10 without embracing and remembering verses 11 and 12, we fall into what we call lukewarm Christianity. When we don't remember who we were, when we don't look back on what we were, a lot of times we dive right into this lukewarm Christianity. We're not hot. We're not cold. We're just kind of as the, as the wind blows. And, and looking at that, it says that, remember as we looked, at, we looked at in Sunday school with Revelation, it says if you're not hot and you're not cold, you're kind of good for nothing in that way. And sometimes spiritually we're kind of lukewarm because we don't do this little word remember and, and, and what we need to be doing. And you ever sometimes look at your spiritual life and say, man, what's wrong with me? I don't, I, I'm just very apathetic in my spiritual life. You know, you ever wonder why do I pray and, and, and why do we pray a lot of times but there's no fervor, there's no affection. What does it say? The prayer of the righteous man? The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And by the way, you don't have to say man, you can say mankind there. The fervent prayer of a man a woman a boy a child availeth much and you know when you think about your prayer life this week was did it have affection did it have fervor did it have uh, a passion to it if you would why is it a lot of times that we can sing a lot of us you know we all of us hopefully just got through singing songs here why do we sing sometimes with scarcely from the heart and with blank expressions with no emotion and I'm not saying everything's got to be about emotion, but I think Baptists are really good about sucking every bit of emotion out of things, saying if you have any emotion, it's wrong. Now, you don't hang from the chandeliers. I get that. But you know what? Why can we sit there and sing praise him, praise him? Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, for our sins, he suffered and bled and died. Why do we do that? Because we failed to remember who we once were. We failed to remember what it was to be dead. We failed to remember those things. It, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, our hearts sometimes even breaking for people that are lost. Sometimes I think about this. I, I know I quote a lot Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Many shall say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done many marvelous works and cast out devils? And he said, Depart from me, you children of iniquity, for I never knew you. How can we read those words of Jesus and go, hmm, that's nice. And they don't affect us because we've been lulled into this lukewarmness. We went from verse 10 to walk in them 
into but God and we forgot to do what he simply says to do in verse 11. Remember. Remember. Remember those things that we were. To remember those things. It's kind of like uh, uh, Bill Wyden said this, the greatest thing in the world is to be saved. But I wonder if the average Christian sitting in church today or watching it live stream wherever they're at today, I wonder if that's still the same thought, that the greatest thing in the world is to be saved. The greatest thing in the world is to know that you have a relationship with God. And why, you know, you kind of think about experiencing that salvation and how you woke up today. And as a believer, as you woke up, sometimes you ever think about like vacation, the first day of vacation. I love vacation. I don't know about you guys. I like, I don't really love the loading up the car and going. I like getting there. That's why we don't stop to go to the bathroom. No, you're good. How long is longer? You got to go to the bathroom? It's just three more hours, honey. You'll be all right, okay? It's good. All right, but Daddy, I'm thirsty. Swallow spit. You'll be good. Okay, we'll get there. You're good, okay? You'll be good. Hey, I want something to eat. Well, you guys live in this van. Oh, look, there's a Cheez-It on the floor. There you go. You can do that. Break it, bless it, multiply it. You know, do whatever you got to do, okay? I like to get there. You know why? Because you want to know my favorite part of going on vacation is the first morning. I'm there. And this is just me. I like that first morning. I like going to the mountains. I'm from Tennessee. I just got a little too much of that in me. We're going to convert you. <laughs> you better keep praying. Okay. Um, especially if we go to the mountains. I like that first morning waking up with a cup of coffee, sitting on the porch and watching the sunrise and that smoke kind of come off the mountains and just seeing it and that kind of the crisp air and how it is. And you're like, well, I like the beach. Okay. So sitting on the beach, getting sand all on you. All right. But you see the sun come up, and, and you see the sunrise, and you can feel, you know, the spray of the waves. On, you know what I mean? That you're there. And you're just kind of just taking it all in. You don't, you don't have to rush anymore. You're finally there. Everyone's happy for at least a few moments. You're there, and you're just taking it in. When's the last time your salvation that you woke up to today, that you woke up to this week, felt anything like that? And how many of us, our salvation feels like waking up in the mountains and it's rain, rainy and drizzly and there's a hole in our tent. We're getting wet. We're frustrated. We're inconvenienced. Or you wake up and you ever go to the beach and it's just pouring down rain or it's thundering or, or something's happening there or it's cold. I don't know why people go to the beach with it cold, but some people like to do that. They go and it's cold. And it's like you just feel so dreary about that. You know, I dare say a lot of people today live and experience their Christian life as the second part of their vacation instead of the first part. Well, Phil, you just don't understand my life. You just don't understand what I'm going through. You just don't, maybe you're not embracing what's going on around us. I do know this. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my family, love my family, to have common sense. But either he is God or he's not. And I can trust him regardless of the circumstance. Now, I'm not going to be a dummy who walks out here in the middle of the street and says, I trust God. And if I trust God, the semi-truck won't hit me. You're going to say, Phil, you're really not trusting God. You're trusting your stupidity, which is probably a very terrible thing. But what I try to get us to understand is that so many times our salvation becomes so lukewarm. Our love for Jesus because, becomes so common, if you would, Instead of a, like a fervent devotion, a hot devotion, you know, and, and you can't have that, by the way, you can't have that longing commitment and affection for Christ as it talks about in verses 10 and 13 on down that we're going to look at today without remembering the motivation that comes from verses 11 and 12. 
you can't have that I long for Christ, that joy of Christ that we love in verses 10 and 13 and going down without truly reflecting on the motivation that comes through verses 11 and 12. That's why he says here, he says, remember, Paul's saying, remember, remember this. And I think of no better Sunday to drive this home than probably today and people of everywhere today. But I want us to look at what we should remember as believers, what we should remember. Number one is this. Remember, number one, you were once without Christ. Look at verses 11 and 12. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, that at the time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. So the first thing we see here, what should we remember? You say, Phil, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. What should I remember? You need to remember there was a time that you weren't in Christ. We've been looking at in Ephesians, especially in chapter 1. There's so many times. In fact, I underlined in my Bible how many times it says in chapter 1, either the phrase in Christ or in him or by Christ, being talking about salvation, that we are in Christ. Can I tell you, the sooner a person doesn't acknowledge that they are so blessed to be in Christ, they begin to forget they were once without him. The sooner you forget the sooner that you don't acknowledge that you are so blessed, and I am so blessed to be in Christ, that's when we truly begin to forget that we we're once without him. You say, well, Phil, I grew up, uh, I got saved at the age of five. You know, I don't really remember life without him. Can I tell you, to remember what it would be like without Christ doesn't, re- doesn't require some horrible or glorious, however you want to look at it, testimony of being in sin for decades and decades. Because it's pretty easy to see who we were without Christ. And again, I say this. You say, well, I've always been saved. I've always been a Christian. No, you weren't. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Jesus Christ is the only human being that's ever been born. and born in flesh. And he was 100% man and 100% God. But every one of us. And that's why he came. Because we were in sin. Because the wages of sin is death. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if I am to love him as I ought to love him. And as Jesus said in the New Testament over and over again. He, when he returns to the earth. He wants to find faith. Then I must do what this text says. I must remember, remember, remember that there was a once a time. That I wasn't joined with Christ. There was once a time as it says here. That I was in verse number 12. That I was alien from the commonwealth of Israel. That I was a stranger of promise. That I had no hope. And that I was without God. I have to remember that. I tell you when you look at this and say. Who were we when we were once without Christ. As it talks about here. That we were aliens outside of the commonwealth of Israel. If you remember. Is that God's people right. Is that as Gentiles. Remember salvation came to the Gentiles. It didn't originate with the Gentiles. And that salvation came through Christ to us. You say, who's a Gentile? If you're not a Jew, (laughs) hi, we're Gentiles, okay? That's who we are. And if you see here strangers from the covenant of promise, those promises and those covenants that were given to Abraham, they were given to Noah, they were in all those different covenants that you read about in the Old Testament, which I love, those covenants weren't for us at that time. We couldn't claim them before Christ. We couldn't claim them 
for ourselves. And if that's not even good enough, think about this. Who were we without Christ? And I have underlined in verse number 12 that ye at one time were without Christ. Look what it says at the end of verse number 12. Having no hope. Let's just be honest. We don't really know what this thing is going to be. We really don't have any idea. I find it interesting we're studying Revelation in Sunday school. I told the people in Sunday school, I said, you can't make this up. We're at Revelation 13 today. I mean, you can't make this up, okay? But can I tell you something? No matter if this thing blows over tomorrow, if this thing becomes worldwide and, and more people die that have already died, there's one of two different types of people in this world facing this and whatever else comes. Those with hope and those without it. You know why I need to remember? You know what's going to help me in my walk with Christ today? Remembering there was a day that I was hopeless. That I had no hope. And the more you remove your thought process and gratitude and thankfulness from what God has saved you from and who you would be without Christ, you're just going to embrace that lukewarm Christianity and that lukewarm spirituality. And you know what Jesus said to those people, right? I want to spew you out of my mouth. He says there is no pleasure in that. I have no purpose for that. But I have no hope. You say, well, I think there's people all over the world, Phil, that don't matter if they're Christian or non-Christian, crying out to God. Well, there is a major problem with that. The Bible's pretty clear about those that are in Christ because of Christ, not because of us, but because of Christ, when we can cry out to God that he'll hear our prayers. But he only hears the prayers of the saints which means he only hears the prayers of the believers. Why? Because there's a relationship. There's a relationship. Why did you remember the verse I quoted to you in Matthew chapter 7? They cried out to Jesus in the last day. He says, apart from me, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you, so I'm not going to listen to you. And so when you think about the prayers and those things, that God hears that, and it's not because of us, it's because of our salvation. And to remember that there's people today that are without Christ, and it doesn't matter how much they cry out to God, how much they do for God, how much they attend church, how much they throw on a plate, how much they try to do good to people, they are without Christ and they're without hope. Is anyone else kind of like me, that people that I know and love, and I am far, far from where I need to be spiritually? But do you ever sometimes just think about people that you know that are without Christ. And you almost want to kind of sugarcoat it a little bit. Well, they're a good person. Well, they went to church one time. Man, they said a prayer. Either with hope or without him. Because they're either in Christ or as it says in verse number 12, they're without him. No matter what we face over the next few days or years to come. Man, I'm glad I can face it with him. I don't have to face it without him. You say, well, what if something bad happens in your life and eventually your life goes away? The Bible says, the point of a man wants to die after this judgment. We all going sometime. Now, don't get me wrong, I ain't looking to go in the next load or anything like that, okay? We'll live a long time. But those that are without Christ, the Bible says pretty simply about them, there's no hope. They're living without but as long as they breathe in and out, God still has the opportunity that if they could hear him, if they would listen to the Holy Spirit convicting them to draw them to Christ. But it not only says they're without hope, without those promises. Look what it says at the end of verse 12. It doesn't seem like a big thing, but it says without God in the world. 
How would you like to go this week? Doesn't seem like a big week's coming up at all, does it? How would you like to go through this week without God? Let me ask you a question. How many of you went through this week without him anyways? By the way you lived. By the way you didn't acknowledge him, pray to him, thank him. Glorify him. Well, I talk to God a lot because I asked for this and I asked for this. And not, God's not a vending machine. Even though we treat him like one a whole lot. God's not some idol that we just do these rope prayers at rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen, hallelujah, let's eat. He's not that. But how many of us honestly probably lived without God this week? That's why I'm so thankful for the verse that says, and no man shall pluck him from my father's hand, for I am my father of one. To be in Christ is to be in the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost but you're going to live your life this week. I encourage you, remember those days when you didn't have the choice to live your life with or without God. So choose. As a believer, you're saved. Choose to live a life in the acknowledgement and the glory of God and the thankfulness of God for what he's done for you, what he's done for me. And if, we, if, if you remember back in verse number three of chapter two, it says, among whom also we had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, when it says here, this part, uh, remember that you were without God, I, I don't think it means that you lack some knowledge of God. I don't think it means that. I think it means remember that God was once not your God. Remember at one point that he wasn't your God. And what it means by that is this. And if he was not our God, then that means something. Remember, there was a time in your life, and we love to quote the verse what? If God be for us, who can be against us? But you need to remember, I need to remember, what helps me on a Christian walk is to remember there was a day that God was not for me, God was against me. Because I was dead in trespasses and sin. There was a time that he wasn't my God. I was apart from him. There was a time in my life when he was not my justifier, but he was my condemner. There was a time in my life that he uh, was the one that would condemn me to eternal damnation before Christ. And as it says there, the end of verse 3, that we were the children of wrath to receive. There was a time. Remember who you were once without Christ. You say, Phil, I've heard you kind of talk about this before. You know why? Because we forget. Children of Israel, I love them. You ever get mad at children of Israel reading the Bible? You ever sometimes read the children of Israel? Y'all dumbest people I ever met. You know what I mean? I mean, here you go. You got God, parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground, by the way. I mean, that's been pretty awesome. My yard, it rained forever, and it's still wet. You know what I mean? It's this thing about drowning. It rained for days. And they walked across on dry ground. They all get across. And the Egyptians who have enslaved them and beat them and tortured them come across and they drown. And God lets them see it. Three days. Three days later. God. Moses. Why have you brought us out here in this desert to die? We ain't got any water. You brought us out here to die. It'd be better if we were back in Egypt. And they started reflecting all the little minuscule things that they enjoyed in Egypt. They didn't think about all the terrible things being done. Even better, if you let us just die in Egypt. In fact, at one point they say, why did you even bring our children out here today? Why do you hate our children even, Moses? We're going to die. Three days removed. 
You ever watch a movie and it's just you love the movie or read a book and at the end of it, you're like, man, that is awesome. I just loved it. And you can still think about it. You still talk about it and all those things. Three days, think about what they saw. And over and over again, especially in the Psalms, it's recorded. And the children of Israel remember not the Lord. And we want to get so mad at them, but I wonder how God's like, you got the Bible. You can gather together freely as often or as little as you like without persecution. And you walk out those doors. You close your Bible in the morning from your devotions and you go about your work if you do open your Bible. And we forget about the one that parted the Red Sea that provided salvation for us to walk across on dry ground that destroyed that sinful nature and that thing that's inside of me. And I still have a, I still have a nature that desires to sin. The Bible says there's war between the flesh and the spirit. But as much as we want to mock the children of Israel, man, I wonder, God looks at me and says, but you don't remember either, Phil. You don't remember who you were without Christ. When's the last time you really just reflected for a moment? Who you were without Christ. And you say, well, Phil, again, I don't have this big, long past to remember. But just think who you were spiritually. Maybe not just physically, maybe not just emotionally. But who you were without Christ and to remember those things. And Paul talks about this, and he says, what? He says, and think about that, having no hope and without God in the world. We are to remember, and we are to remember the entirety of our hopeless condition apart from the mercy and grace of God. The second thing he wants us to remember is this. He wants us to remember, let's look in verse number 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. Secondly, what he wants us to see is not just you were once without Christ, but number two, but now ye are in Christ. Remember who you are. I remember sometimes I would go out whenever I got my driver's license and I would go out and every now and then my dad would say something kind of like this. Remember whose you are. Remember who you belong to. Remember your name. I remember thinking about it. I was like, I know my name. That's stupid. You mean, wait, I know what my name is. I'm going to forget. That's not what he was saying. Remember whose name you're carrying when you go. Remember who you represent as you go out. He's basically saying, don't act stupid <laughs> with that. And you know what? How many times do we live our lives, respond to things in a way that's just appealing to our flesh, that makes us feel better and retaliate in our anger or in our pride or in our bitterness or whatever it is. And God's saying, hey, remember, but now you are in Christ. That's who you were but remember who you are now. Remember who you are now. You're not the same. What does it say in Corinthians? You are not the same. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, and that price required the blood of his son, as it talks about here. We are made nigh by the blood of Christ, and we're going to celebrate an Easter coming up here soon as we get to that Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate that. And by the way, we should celebrate that all the time. That you know what, the only way that we're able to come to Christ, the only way that we're able to be in Christ is through the blood of Christ. And you say, Phil, I know this, I'm at church during this time, but can I just have you remember that the cross with God's demonstration of just how far he's willing to go to make you be part of his family. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person. That may be true. But compared to God, we're, we're not so pretty. 
We might look pretty to other people. We might think a little bit more of ourselves compared to somebody else. But can I tell you, if you're in Christ today, every last person in this room that's saved, you're all recipients of the grace of a loving, holy, merciful, never-ending, faithful God to you that wants to continue, by the way, to work in you and through you, and that fascinates me. It's enough for God to change me, but now he wants to live inside of me. See, if he lives inside of me, he knows my thoughts. That's scary. He knows my motives. He doesn't just see my actions. He sees me. You know, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart, and God still sees me in that and says, but remember, now you're in Christ, and let me tell you, remember you're in Christ, not by what you've done, but by being made nigh by the blood of Christ. He says, who were sometimes, who were once, far off, far away from God. Man, I'm so thankful that when I was far away from God before salvation, that I was able to come nigh to him, and I was only able to come nigh to him, not because I got my life cleaned up beforehand, but I came to Christ, and Christ cleaned my life up. And that's a thing we've got to get figured out. So many people feel like, if I can just come before I come, if I can just clean my life up, if I can just get going down the right way in life, if I can just get some things figured out, then I'll come to Christ. That's the total backwards way of doing it. You come to Christ, let him do the cleaning. He does a whole lot better job. I've discovered something. I can clean things in the house. Rachel's very proud of that. She's excited about that. I can clean things. But I will tell you, the way I clean things probably doesn't reach the same level of... You understand what I'm saying, right? Thank you, Brother Art. You know, that's right. Aren't you glad that God was able to make you cleaner than you could ever possibly make yourself? Then why as believers we keep trying to scrub? Well, I, I need to be a better Christian. How about this? How about we let God make us into who he wants us to be? He's got enough to save me. He's got enough to transform me. The best I can do is conform. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind we're going to get into really cool verses when we get to especially chapters three about that a lot of people are really good at conforming to whatever they're in man i feel like god in love today i can conform to that. i feel like doing what i want to do today i feel like being like these people but man it's really cool whenever we allow god to transform us into who he wants us to be and can i be honest with you when god transforms me it hurts a little bit it doesn't feel comfortable he has to sand off some pretty hard rough edges let me ask you a question. What can you mold? You can only mold clay when it's soft, right? Can't mold a rock. One thing you do to a rock is break it. Pound it. May our hearts be so tender like clay that he can mold us and make us. And when he needs to start over again, <laughs> a lot easier than beating on that rock of our heart and our stubborn will that we have in our life. But now we are in Christ, and he says there that we are able to make, we're able to come near, we're able to come nigh through the blood of Christ. Next thing we see this, a lot I wanted to say there, but we'll keep going. Number three, we need to remember that he is your peace. Look in verse 14 through 18. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, 
and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Verse 17. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now stop there. Now you need to remember, you need to remember who you were without Christ. You need to remember, but now you are in Christ. You need to remember that and what's happened to make that possible. But you need to understand is that he is your peace. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians that have the, <clears throat> excuse me, they have peace with God, but don't have the peace of God. Romans chapter 5 says that we are saved by what he of our peace with God through Jesus Christ. That we are saved. That's peace with God. You ever hear someone use the phrase, well, I made my what? Peace with God. That's salvation. Romans 5, 1. That we're justified by faith. And we have our peace with God through Christ. That's salvation. There's a lot of Christians that have peace with God, but don't have anything close to the peace of God. We thank God and we've enjoyed and we experienced Romans 5, 1. But man, we ain't getting close to Philippians 4. Be anxious. Be careful for nothing. And everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God. Why? And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can either let God, you need to let Christ keep your heart, or you can keep your worry. You have the choice. Christ can keep your heart, or you can keep your anxiety. It's one or the other. That's why in everything with thanksgiving, we pour out our heart to God because the peace of God that, by the way, passes a whole lot of my understanding. It ain't real hard to pass my understanding. But when I allow him to have me and to keep my heart, I can enjoy the peace of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. I'm not asking you if Christ is your Savior. I'm asking is Christ your peace? Can I encourage you with this? If Christ is your peace, it doesn't matter what people do. Well, if they would just do this, man, I'd be so happy if they would just do this. No, you wouldn't. Your, your peace is in the wrong thing. There's nothing wrong with having desires. There's nothing wrong with having wanting to see people trust Christ, follow Christ, obey Christ, be more faithful to Christ. But can I tell you, at the end of the day, my peace cannot be if so-and-so comes to church, if so-and-so cleans up their life, if so-and-so gets right with God. My peace has got to be in Christ. Because I'm not going to understand why they do or don't do the things that they do. There is never going to be a day in your life. You're, I know exactly why they did that all the time. I don't know why I do what I do half the time. But he says here, because you're in Christ, he is your peace. And, and if I could explain it a little bit like this, too. Remember, as it says at the end of verse 3, that we were the children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, hath he saved us. We run a lot of times past this part. Romans chapter, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14, it says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. If I could explain it like this. In the temple times, in the tabernacle times, and, and some of you may know this, but if you don't, it's no problem, I'll explain it. And if you know it, bear with me. When they set up the tabernacle and, and eventually the temple, inside of the temple or the tabernacle, they had different divisions. They had a division called 
the holy place, and that's where the priest, and a lot of times the sacrifice, some sacrifices, things that will happen, and the pouring out the, uh, the different essence and different things that they would do. But then there was a veil, a huge thick veil that was the holy of holies. And in that little area of the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant always was a picture of the presence of God. By the way, some of David's worst defeats that you ever read about in Scripture is when the Ark was not in Israel. So the presence, you had the Ark of God there. It is a mercy seat. And on the mercy seat were the cherubims. There was this place where they would take one time a year a high priest, only he could go into the Holy of Holies, go through the veil, and he would take this blood of a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, and he would pour it out on the mercy seat, and he would ask and beg God for forgiveness for himself and for all the people. Pretty terrifying moment. Because if the high priest went in through the veil and him himself was not right with God, God would strike him down for coming in the presence of God. That's why they would tie a rope around his leg and bells so you can't really run in there and get him. You've got to drag him out, you know. I don't know a better way of saying it. So there's the veil, and so you have this holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in. But then in the holy place in the temple, that was really only reserved for the priest. And then you had another section on the outside, kind of known as the uh, outer court, if you would. And in that outer court there, a lot of times that's where people, if you remember, coming in uh, on Wednesday night to talk about Hebrews, they would sin, they do something wrong, they would come, confess it to the priest at the outer court, they would make a sacrifice right there and to get forgiveness, and they would go on. So the people were not, the Jews were not allowed to go into the holy place because that's where the priests were, and the priests weren't allowed to go into the holy of holies. But there's a group of people we're still missing here, the women. The women had to be a little bit further out. There was the gate, if you would, of the women. They wouldn't allow the women into the outer court, definitely not into the holy place, and definitely not into the holy of holies. So you, then you had the outer court of the women. But then, you remember, Jerusalem is a time, so much trade, so much thing going through, and being such a connection there that people would come by. And remember, if you're not Jew, you're a Gentile. And what they would do for those people that were Gentiles that weren't uh, Jews and wanted to see what was going on and wanted to possibly even be followers of Christ, there actually was a wall that they couldn't get through, but from a distance they were allowed to see. There was a wall of partition. That's what we call them when you set up temporary walls, right? We call them partitions. And from there, they surely, they could maybe see the, the gate of the women. They might be able to get a little glimpse of over there in the, in the outer court, but there's no way they're going to see into the holy place. <laughs> no one's going to see all the way there. Now, if you look at your Bible in verse number 14, it says, He is our peace who has broken down that middle wall of partition. You know what that means? Remember when Jesus says on the cross, It is finished. What happened? The veil tore from the top to the bottom. So at one place where man, if he entered unworthily, would be killed from entering to the presence of the Lord, a man that was only the high priest had it going correctly, only he could enter into it. Guess what Hebrews says Jesus is? Our great high priest. So now the veil is torn. So now us that are on the outside, that have a wall between us, Jesus tore it down. So guess what you and I can do? Because we're Gentiles. We can walk right past that gate of the women. 
We can walk right past that outer court. We can go into the holy place and serve God. But thank God we can go all the way into the presence of God. That's why verse 14 gets skipped a lot. But boy, I tell you, there's a whole lot there. That's why he's our peace. And that's why Paul says, might want to remember Might want to remember what he did for you. You might remember, we might live better to remember that we have peace with God because God tore down that wall. God rent that veil. I tell you, one of the prayers I like to try to pray, I get it from Dr. Sells, is this. Whenever I read the Bible or whenever I study to preach or when I want God to speak to me, I pray, God, take the veil away. Take it away. That I might be able to see you and your glory in it and seeing you is probably going to let me have a pretty good view of myself and what I need to get right. But we see who are now in Christ. We see he is our peace. And I love, by the way, verse 18. And that's why it says, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. By the way, verse 18, you get the Trinity. I don't know if you picked up on that. Because of that middle wall of partition, because of having him as our peace, for through him, who's him? Christ. We both have access by one, capital S, spirit, Holy Spirit, to the Father. That's why he says, let us come boldly into the throne of grace. We may obtain grace, mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Boy, he ought to be our peace. We ought to remember that. We ought to remember what's happened in that. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is this, number four. He is to be the cornerstone for your life. Down in verse number 19, it says this. Now, therefore, or because of even all this that he's done, therefore, because of this, Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord and whom ye also are builded together for an inhabitation of God through the spirit. So I say here that he is to be the cornerstone for your life. I love how he says there, he says, you are Gentiles, you are without Christ. He said, but you're no longer fellows, you're not just outsiders now. He says, you're the household of faith. And that's why we like to sing a little chorus. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. Know that little song? We joke around here, if we're not careful, we start acting like I'm so mad, I'm part of the family of God. I'm so mad, I'm, I'm mad at the part of the family of God. But you know what he says here, because of what Christ has done, because he's become our peace, is that he says, now we're part of the family of God. And he says, and this is how you ought to live your life and how you build your life now. I will build my life upon what? A foundation of what? Not just the apostles. He's saying, you guys can look back to Moses. You guys can look back to Elijah. You can build upon those prophets. You can build upon the disciples. He said, but ultimately, you're going to build your life upon Christ and let Christ be your cornerstone. Let him, <coughs> excuse me, be the chief cornerstone. Let him be the one that you build your life on. And can I tell you, there's a lot of us as believers, just being honest, we, we have salvation in Christ, but we're definitely not building our life on Christ. We're chasing dreams made of sand. Man, we're chasing sand. What does it say? The wise man builds his house upon the rock, but the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And when the rains come, it's pretty evident what your house is built on. When the rain comes in your life, the rain will reveal. By the way, God allows the rain. He lets it rain on the just and the unjust. 
the loving God that allows the rain allows you to really see who your peace is built on. You might be sitting in this room and your trust is in Christ for your salvation, but to live your life is on money or is it on self or is it on success. It's on being somebody in this world or doing this or doing that or the other. But it says what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, secondary things, he'll add them. He'll add them and see if it. And by the way, I found out God does a lot better job taking care of me than I do. Problem is, I like driving the bus. I do. I told y'all that a couple weeks ago. When we go on a church trip around here, or I jump in the car. I never jump in the passenger seat. I like driving the bus. About a month ago, I got stung by a spider or something in my hand. In my hand, I look like a really fat person on one hand, and I look like a really old, decrepit person on the other hand driving. And I sent it to a friend. I said, man, look at my hand, man. My hand looks terrible. And you know what they said? Still driving, huh? Still got to be the one to drive? Because I took a picture on a steering wheel. Now I just, I wanted to reply. I didn't know you listened that well in church is what I wanted to say. You know, <coughs> of course, that wasn't probably the best response either. But, um, but let me just ask you something as we close. You ever get tired of life of trying to build a foundation that's not going to hold? It's not going to hold you emotionally. It's not going to hold you mentally, spiritually, physically. You ever get tired of trying to build a foundation on something that cannot carry the weight it says he's the chief cornerstone that i can build my life upon christ what does he say and thou art peter upon this rock which i personally believe he means upon this rock christ i will build my church i'm going to use you in great ways peter but it's going to be built on me you're going to be a wonderful piece of how the church has started but it's not going to be built on you peter I tell you, a lot of pastors today, I think we're in danger, and I put myself in that category. We're in danger of trying to build the church upon ourselves. And we're not here to build us a kingdom. We're here to build and advance the kingdom, however that looks. But let me ask you, as you're living this life, what, what, what are the things you're padding in that foundation with? What are you trying to make the thing that you're going to cling to in the storm? And Paul is saying here, as he finishes out this second chapter, he says, remember who you were without him, hopeless. But now you're in him, so live like you're in him. But remember, he's our peace. He's broken down that wall, and we don't just get to come to the gate. It's awesome that every time we close our eyes, we get to go into the presence of the almighty God that loved us, saved us, and created us. You ever thought about that? That when you pray, dear Lord, because of Christ being our high priest, our prayers go into the presence of God. I tell you, it makes you a little more serious about your prayer life. Makes it not so much a rote routine, just a tradition. But he's done it because he's broken down the wall. He's taken the veil away. And if all that's true, then you know what? We ought to let him be the cornerstone. We ought to let him lead. We ought to let him build the way that he wants to build in our lives. Wonderful things he, Paul says here, but the main thing he says, you know what you need to do? As you go out this week, just remember. Just remember. Let's stand together. Father, I do again thank you for the time we can be together. Father, I thank you for.